Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of these, your faithful. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know all of you and your history with the church. I know some stories among us. Um, but I imagine many of you are like me. Having grown up in a family that were faithful in their weekly worship, and I can tell you that uh, anytime we woke up and told our mother that we were sick, she said, well, then if you're too sick to go to Sunday school and church, you're too sick to do anything else the rest of the day. Well, uh, we were always there, mostly on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. <clears throat> so I can't tell you when I learned certain things about my faith. I don't know when I learned certain words like, Amen, Jesus, bless you. I'm not altogether sure when I first learned about Jesus. All of a sudden, he was there. And I'm sure I don't know when I first heard the story of Jesus going up on a mountain to preach and teach and began with the words we heard today, blessed are you. It has become so much a part of my life that I don't hear it new. I don't hear the nuances of the scripture at all. I just hear this in whole cloth. I hear blessed are you and blessed are the poor and blessed are the meek. I mean, contemporary sociologists and psychologists tell us that our understanding of God first comes from the adults who care for us. Mothers and fathers, aunts and uncles, grandparents, but the primary people who made sure we were safe and cared for create an image for us as children of God. And I'm, I'm lucky in that regard. My parents were very attentive and loving and um, made sure we were safe and cared for. So I know that my first understanding of God carried some of the relationship I had with my parents in. It wasn't a perfect life, no perfect relationships, but it was loving, and I did feel safe and knew I was cared for and didn't really worry about where my next meal was coming from. Now, how is it that you come to the understanding of you being blessed. Take a moment and think about that. And do you actually carry that within you, a, a sense of blessing and gratitude for that blessing? Well, there are challenges for us today that I've already alluded to when we hear these words we call the Beatitudes or the blessings. It comes up every year, either from Matthew or from from Luke, we, we, we get to hear this, and so it becomes the kind of thing that we check out of. Oh, yeah, it's the Beatitudes. And then Norma's reading, and we're off in La La Land somewhere, right? I mean, if you've 
you're like me. You've heard them so many times. It's easy to assume what they say, what they mean, what is happening. And what Jesus meant by words like blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the first challenge we have is the familiarity we have with this text. The second challenge we have is that our current culture teaches us to sentimentalize these words. Uh, as in, blessed are the meek. Well, yes, yes, blessed are the meek. Right? Bless them. <laughs> and again, thanks to our current culture, it's and its focus on our rights and privileges as individuals, the challenge for us is that we make it all about us. Me, my, mine. Yes, of course. I'm poor in spirit. Yes. Oh, yes, Lord. I'm poor in spirit. I'm meek. I'm meek. I promise you, God, I can be humble on good days. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm merciful. Pick me. Pick me. I must be blessed. Or counter to that. Why am I not more blessed? So, Because you see, when anything goes wrong in our world, that's where we go. That somehow we're not blessed anymore because things went bad. But what if what we've always thought about the Beatitudes, the blessings, is not what it's not what we think. What if, what if something is happening here that is not what we've been thinking all this time? Because I assure you, when I read this scripture early this week, I thought, what am I missing here? I'm missing something. I don't know what it is. What is different? Why, what am I missing? It just, I, I don't want it to always be the same. So how do we pull back, pull back the years, the familiarity, the assumptions about this scripture and find its true meaning for us? Mark Allen Powell, a retired professor of New Testament at Trinity Lutheran Seminary in Columbus, Ohio, offers a very interesting understanding of these passages of scripture. Now, you're going to have to stay with me here because I'm going to get all into the verses, okay? And, and I'm, I'm going to get all into that, and I'm going to try to keep you with me, but you've got to stay with me here, okay? Come on. So Powell explains that the poetic structure of the Beatitudes in Matthew would have caused those listening to Jesus who were there as the crowd or the, the disciples, Jesus' followers, they would have heard their holy scriptures. They would have heard the blessings of God that they had heard for years in the Psalms, in, the, in, in Genesis, in, in the voices of the prophets. They would have heard the stories of their faith. And, and so these were not necessarily new ideas to them. This was going back and resonating with them in ways that it, it doesn't necessarily resonate with us. So G Powell then goes on to point out that verses 
3 through 6 and 7 through 10 contain exactly 36 words. So there's a parallel thing happening here. And so Powell divides the Beatitudes into three sections. Now, I have never thought about this in my whole entire life. I've always just looked at it with one whole thing, right? But Powell divides it into three sections. And because he uh, is a music critic, he calls them stanzas. First stanza, second stanza, third stanza. The first stanza, he says, is to be interpreted as promising eschatological reversals to those who are unfortunate. Don't let that big 25 cent biblical word scare you. Eschatological, it means an unveiling. It means that we are coming to the end of something so that something new can happen. And, and we're reading all about that in our book we're studying right now for book club. So the promises of these verses are designed to reverse things, change things. And the desire for God's ultimate redemption of creation and people. The point of these first four Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, is not to offer entrance requirements for heaven, but to describe the very nature of God's reign, that it is the nature of God's reign to bless, and especially to bless those who are most marginalized in the world. It is important to note here how we put ourselves into this scenario. But Diana Butler Bass points out something very important in today's reading. The very first words of today's reading are, when Jesus saw the crowds. Now I want you to note here that the, it goes on and we're clear that, that Jesus wasn't teaching the crowds. Jesus was teaching his closest friends and followers, the disciples so that they would carry on his ministry beyond his life. So, but it, so then why does the scripture start with when Jesus saw the crowds? So you have to go back, and Diana Butler peels back the onion and says, go back to the end of chapter 4. Jesus, and it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And according to the very final verse in chapter 4, and cured every disease and every sickness among the people, and his fame spread. And they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him. And our scripture today says, when Jesus saw the crowds. Those are the people in the crowd to whom the first four Beatitudes are addressed. Everyone cast off and rejected, who were believed to be somehow not entirely human, the unclean and the impure, that's the crowd. 
And that's not us. That's the crowd. Think about Tyree Nichols and his family and how, as he was being beaten, he was somehow seen to not be human. That's the crowd. That is not us. Now, yeah, we have our times. We have our times when we're in these places, but we don't dwell there, right? Jesus is not teaching the crowds, but is teaching the disciples. And that's us. That's where we come in. But the crowd makes all the difference. Back to Powell's insights. With the fifth and subsequent four Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, and, and, and those who are persecuted, this second set of Beatitudes, the second stanza begins, right? And we learn that God's ultimate will is to bless those who exhibit this virtuous behavior. But only as it relates to a virtuous behavior in its treatment of the crowd. The first four Beatitudes. So we've got stanza one, we are introduced to the crowd and the oppressed. Stanza two, we are introduced to our role as faithful followers of Jesus, right? It must be remembered that the blessings upon those who are virtuous are earned because they have been virtuous on behalf of the people mentioned in the first four. The final section, okay, get ready, hang on, here we go. There's a shift in language. I don't know if you noticed. And this is where we get the idea that it's all about us. Because the very last Beatitudes, there's a shift in language from those or them to you. To you and to me. This means that when we accept the invitation to act virtuously on behalf of those whom Bass reminds us are afflicted with various diseases, pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, we might find ourselves reviled and persecuted. Or as Powell states, ironically, we, we are deprived of justice because of our devotion to justice. Right? Okay, we got through that part. Are you still with me? Okay. The good news of the gospel for us today is that we can now ask ourselves, how can all this be a blessing? I mean, in our song that we sang, for our opening song, you know, I, I bless you, God, when thing, the sun's shining down on me, but also when I'm walking in the darkness, Right? And that's what this is about. How can all of this be a blessing? How can those who are poor, meek, who mourn, who hunger and thirst for righteousness be blessed in their circumstances? How can it be a blessing to suffer? The big existential question of life. How can it be a blessing to suffer? And what is it that Jesus is trying to teach us? Well, as Jesus often does, Jesus is advocating for an overturned, upside-down world. 
that the, the, the roles shift and the poor become strong and the strong become weak and that there's this turning over of what we think success is because you know we think that people who are blessed are those who are successful they have the job the house the family the yacht I could go on but you know what I'm talking about but Jesus says that blessings come from seeing the crowd and acting in virtuous ways toward them as it turns out there is something mystical going on here there's something very mystical happening that Jesus is inviting us into this experience of God that we, we encounter when we see the crowd and those who make up the crowd. There is a reversal in the cosmos, something that Jesus understands that we miss. Father Richard Rohr explains it this way. In the Franciscan reading of the gospel, there is no reason to be religious or to serve God except to love greatly the one who loves us greatly. That's it. St. Francis said, religion is not about heroic willpower or winning or being right. This has been a counterfeit holiness in much of Christian history. True growth in holiness is a growth willing growth in willingness to love and be loved and a surrendering of our willfulness, even holy willfulness, which Francis says is still all about me. In any case, the Beatitudes are not imperatives. They are not commandments. They are not a set of ethics. They are declarations of divine mystical blessing. Now, and as such, they're cause for consolation and gratitude and joy, even in our suffering. Jesus will go on to teach and preach, as we know. The Sermon on the Mount goes on for several chapters. But blessings come first. It is the priority of Jesus to talk to us about what blessings mean. If we distort the Beatitudes into rules or worse, into work your way into heaven, ethic, we miss Jesus' primary point. God's blessings are already among us. They're already within us. They're surprising and counterintuitive. They are gracious and undeserved, world-turning and beautiful, and we were called to live our lives in response to those blessings, even in the midst of our struggles and even in times of suffering. As a great preacher and scholar Fred Craddock once put it, when it comes to divine blessing, our lives are to be lived because of God's great and gracious love, not in order to win God's great and gracious love. So do this for me, everybody online and here. If you feel comfortable, extend your hand out and hear these words. Blessed are you. Now and always. May it be so. Amen.